If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to In The Pink, the podcast with me, Natalie Pinkham, where I speak to all sorts of interesting people from all sorts of different backgrounds to find out what makes them tick. Now, I know we use the term inspiring all the time, but my next guest truly is. Matt Hampson is a former England rugby union prop who became a tetrapedic after a scrummaging practice went horribly wrong the England under-21s back in 2005. I went to speak to Hambo up at his state-of-the-art rehabilitation centre, which is the physical manifestation of years of soul-searching, hard work, blood, sweat and tears. His searing honesty is striking, humbling and profoundly moving. I really hope you enjoy this. Introducing Hambo. Well, this facility is absolutely incredible. I mean... Brand new, lovely and shiny. Uh, a few people milling around. Uh, you must be immensely proud of this when you look around it. Yeah, we are. We're, we're really, really proud. Um, it's just amazing to see people come in and, and move on with their lives after just spending two, three hours here. Um, it's not just the beneficiaries, it's also their, their families and friends come along here and they, they see hope. They see a future and they see... They see uh, the way forward, really. I have to say, you're looking really good. Yeah. Certainly a lot better than the last time I saw you, which was back at Mike Tyndall's golf day, where you scared the living daylights out of me. Halfway through the interview, you passed out. Now, just tell me about that. What, what went on? And, and you obviously look a hell of a lot better now, but, but what's happened? Well, before Christmas, I, I had pancreatitis, um, which apparently when you're able-bodied is a... There's a 50% chance of, of you living. Um, so, yeah, let alone being in this situation. So, yeah, I was very, very sort of lucky to, to still be alive, really. Um, life, was, life was really tough, and I think I was probably overdoing it a little bit. Um, got run down, and then it's all the knock-on effects from that. So um, I, I had pneumonia as well when it went into hospital. Um, and then, yeah, and then I, then I had really, really bad pressure sores as well. So, um, yeah, but I'm, I'm on the mend now. Uh, yeah, this summer's done me really good. Uh, nice, warm summer. Going away to France as well, having a bit of a break away from it, recharge the batteries. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the prospects of this place. 
Yeah, and, and your speech seems really good as well at the moment. Is that, is that another side effect of just looking after yourself a bit better? I think so, yeah. It's, it's uh, a clear chest um, and I, I just feel, yeah, feel a lot, lot better. Well, that's great to see. Um, now, just for those who don't know your story, just tell us about it. So it was back in 2005 that you had the accident. What, what are your memories of it? Yeah, um, obviously very sort of very vivid memories of the the initial accident, and then waking up in Stoke Hospital after after probably two three weeks of being in intensive care, and then yeah, life um, my life changed forever really, um, and it was it was tough to come to terms with that those dark days and and to to see sort of light at the end of the tunnel really um but yeah the, you come out of hospital you start making up your own rules and life becomes pretty good really it comes pretty normal again and and do you remember specifically what happened do you remember the day you was training for england under 21s down at franklin's gardens do you, do you remember the build-up to it and how you felt that day and and specifically what went wrong yeah, well, it was really intense because it was the last Six Nations uh, game of the championship um, and everybody really, really wanted to start on that Friday night. And, yeah, it was, it was an intense session and then, see the scrum collapsed. And when you're, when you're a 20-year-old um, prop forward you, um, playing for England and Leicester Tigers, you think you're invincible. You think that... That's the way you've got to look at the game. You can't. There, there can't be any fear there. And um, yeah, life changed forever, and it was uh, pretty tough to to deal with. And and um, yeah, it was a, a pretty dark dark time in, in my life and my family's life, really. Because I I read about your mum saying that you were always getting into scrapes. You were just that kind of kid. So uh, how quickly did you all realise that it was a bit more than that, that this was had major consequences? Um, the scrum collapsed. And, yeah, I, I hadn't initially um, thought that I was going to be paral- potentially paralysed with the neck down for the rest of my life. Um, and, yeah, it was... Then, it, then sort of reality hits home when you're in hospital and you see other people in wheelchairs wheeling round and you're actually in a worse off position than them and you actually feel sorry for them and you're thinking, God, look at that poor guy in a wheelchair. He's, he's really struggling. He's, he's passing out because of his blood pressure and um, he's, he's really, really struggling and I'm actually in a, in a worse off position than him. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's a pretty tough pill to swallow. Um, once you do get up and you you, you go to the, down to the gym and physios don't really want to do much with you because you're a high level injury, you're, they're almost worried about um, about you being too fragile and not giving you. I personally felt like I wasn't really given the opportunity um, in the, in physio to to improve my situation, which was frustrating from being from a sporting background, wanting to train. And you can go to the gym and get stronger, fitter. Um, but when you're in a, when you're paralysed and they neck down, there's, there's not much you can really do to improve your situation. And that was really, really tough to do, to do that. Um, and, yeah, going in the gym um, and being left on a, on a tilt table 
um, and just stood up and then basically fallen asleep because you, your body's exhausted just from what you've been through and physio's not really wanting to go near you. It's really, really tough. And, and what kind of time frame are we talking there? Like, how long was that sort of long, dark tunnel? I was I was in Stem Mandeville for 17 months. Fortunately, um, I got chance to go home. Um, Mum and Dad made their made their home um, wheelchair accessible. So so within that time frame, I did go home a few times. Went home at Christmas. Went home for my 21st birthday. Um, but yeah, it was you. So you come out of hospital and. You get into the same routine um, as what you were in hospital, and you think, "What? What am I going to do now of my life? And mm. what, how am I, how I going to? How's it going to pan out? Um, how's how's things going to be normal ever again?" Mm. And it takes a long, long time to initially get over that and start living with it. It feels we always say here that it feels like a bereavement. That's how you feel, and then. Um, then a few years down the line, you, you start to see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, you think life's pretty good, you start to travel, you start to meet new friends, um, you you sort of get on with your life because you are you are almost left, you know. Um, I, I was very fortunate to have great family and friends around me, um, but they've got their lives to lead and you just think you've got to make the most of it, you've got to, you've got to sort of suck it up and get on with it really. So, so when you talk about it being like a bereavement, is, are you mourning your old self? Are you saying goodbye to something and, and sort of readjusting what your your new normal is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you feel you do feel like that. You trying to come to terms with this, um, trying to you know, with, with me, I have to have two people with me twenty four hours a day to look after me. So it's adjusting to that sort of life that you you can't go out on your own. And you can't do things on your own. I'm I'm very fortunate that I, I've got a great care team around me. But I also I like being around people. I like I'm a I'm very much a people person. And I always have been. Um, so that I was very for, fortunate to be like that and to have people around you all the time to adjust to that as well. It's pretty tough. Um, and then yeah, trying to trying to see that that hope and, and trying to change change to adjust with that that sort of life really is uh yeah pretty difficult at first and then you then you sort of come to terms with it and you you move on and you think actually there's only so much people can feel sorry for you you know there's only so many people feel sorry for you and you actually got to make the best of it and get on with your life and and be be tough really and so do you, I mean, obviously the physical changes are massive for you to process, but what about the mental and emotional ones? Do you feel a different person, personality-wise now, than you were before? Yeah, definitely. I, was, I don't know what I, what I would have been like if I'd have been able-bodied now. Um, but yeah, you have to grow up very quickly. I was 20 years old when I had my accident, but there's things that you have to sort of deal with and... And things that you don't normally think of when you're 20 years old, you know, like, am I am I ever going to have kids again? Am I, you know, am I, I going to have a partner? Am I, is my life ever going to be um, the same again? Normal, whatever normal is, mm. you know, that's how you feel. And, and do you ask yourselves those same questions now? Or have you 
are you kind of at peace with your your answers to those questions yeah I think so I'm just happy I'm happy in life you know life's pretty good I'm I'm very lucky to have amazing people around me um, and I have a laugh every day. We have a, we have a great friendship and camaraderie, um, and this place really helps me. Um, it gives me it channel. It gives me something for me to channel my energy into, and gives me something that I feel happy with, and, and I feel happy here. You know, I feel that I've got great people around me, like I said before, and we do have a, we do have fun, and it's, it is a good life. You know, well, you, you've, you've created that. I mean, this 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 facility is. Well, it feels much more than a facility. It feels like a coming together of, of friends and family and a, a focal point for your life, but crucially for lots of other people as well. Um, by the way, t- tell me to stop at any point if you're talking for too no, long no, hurts. No, no, <laughs> okay. um, don't pass out on me again. That's all no, I ask. No, don't pass out, no. <laughs> um, tell me a bit more about the, the help and, and the way that your parents have coped with this, because must literally be every parent's worst nightmare. It must have been hell for them. It is, and I think one of one of the best things my mum ever said to me is that I want to be your mum. Um, when I, when I had my accident, I want to be your mum. I don't want to be your carer. And initially, I thought that was that was quite hard because all, all you want when you when you in that situation is your mum and your dad. When you're 20 years old, you just want your mum and a dad, mum and dad around you to support mm-hmm. you and that. My mum and dad were, but um, it's the best thing my mum could have ever said to me in the fact that I live an independent life. I, you know, I, I live at home. Um, I've got my own home. Uh, I don't live with my parents. I, you know, I do my own thing, really. Yeah. And I think sometimes they find it difficult because I'm, I'm fiercely independent and I try to be like that. But I'm a 33-year-old lad, you know, I don't really want to... I don't really want to live at home with my parents. I wanted to, you know, always, always had that plan to be as independent as possible. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was uh, initially when my mum first said that to me, that was tough. But I understand why she said that to me, and, and I think our relationship now is better than it's ever been in the fact that they they go away on holiday, they do their own thing, they. They're travelling the world, doing their own thing. They're retired now, so um, and I just think it's amazing what they're doing. Um, and I've, I think I'm very lucky that I've got a great care team around me that my parents can feel um, that they can leave me with them and feel like they, you know, I'm not a bit. I feel like I'm not a burden to them now. So, did it hurt you in a way because you thought that well, you know? the most natural instinct for a mother is to be a carer or what, what do you feel that she meant like that there had to be a sort of demarcation if you like between her her roles as a mum when you were able-bodied as, a, as opposed to now um yeah it did I struggled with it to come to terms with that initially because I thought all, all I want is mum and dad to be around me because I you automatically go back to sort of child mode almost and they go back to their sort of um, maternal uh, role really within in their lives um, but yeah they 
I think it's, like I said, it was the best thing my mum could have done because it was like, you've got to get on with it. You've got to get on with this life and you've got to make the best of it and you've got to find your own way, really, um, which I think everybody does in this world. Um, and, yeah, it was, it, it's it's good in the fact that my, my care team look after me and my, they, they're on my, my arms and legs, you know, and they, they do, you know amazing things for me so yeah I'm very, I'm very lucky to have that but my you know I think with my with my mum and dad they their role now is to you know, I've got I've got brother and sister as well so you know it's not just me you know the focal point is it's not just focused on me you know it's focused away from away from me now my mum and dad have got grandchildren as as well so that's really nice for them as well so mm. Yeah, it takes that sort of emphasis off me, really. So that process of getting to this point, how long do you think that's been? Have there been a number of sort of key moments, pivotal moments that have helped you come to that conclusion? Because it can't have been an overnight thing. I think it probably was an overnight thing. I think for me, um, yeah, just thinking to myself, look, you've got to get on with this you've got to make the best of this situation like I said before there is a there's only so much feeling sorry for a person that that people can do and you know if you feel sorry for yourself you're not going to move on with your life are you? you're not going to you're not going to crack on really so I I don't feel sorry for myself at all I, I lead a really good and active life so um and I wouldn't want people ever to feel sorry for me either I just that's just not me at all so you wrote a book about all of this, an award-winning book, no less. Very well done on that. Um, how kind of therapeutic was that? How much did that help in the process of you kind of really channeling your energy in a positive way? It was a great uh, sort of cathartic process for me to go through in the fact that it was, a, it was the best form of counselling, really, to get it down on paper for me to talk to somebody about exactly how I've feel and felt uh, through throughout my injury and now and it seems like a lifetime ago um but yeah it was so it was crucial in my it was crucial in my sort of rehabilitation stage really um to go through that and uh, some days it would be so hard to to do this Paul Kimmage who um who wrote my book he is such a so he's so intense and he's such an intense person and I think that really really helped me um, and he pushed me every day to, to sort of get the best out of it and, he, and to, for me to generally t- tell him exactly how I felt um, when I was going through that situation and, and how I feel now and, and yeah people have said to me do you want to write another book and I'm like nah no, thank you. Not for me. It's it's a really um, maybe one day, but it's uh, it's a it's a really tough process to go through yeah. for any for anybody, let alone somebody who's been through. Um, that's what I've been through over the years. So yeah, it was um, it was tough, but a great process for me to go through, and it was a it was a formal counselling really. Yeah, he's clearly so much more than than just an author, but not just an author, but an author. Um, what were the hardest parts of that? To go, Paul said to me before we started writing the book, he said, Hambo, you're going to have to go to places where 
you don't want to go to and you're going to as a as a sportsman you've got this um, you've you've got this almost uh, persona of being tough especially playing for Leicester Tigers um, probably one of the toughest clubs in the world um, and you've got to be mentally tough and especially playing on the front row you've, you've got this persona of being tough and a hard man and all this and, and a lot of it is bullshit but you do have to have that sort of um, that persona and um, for me to sort of drop that and tell Paul exactly how I felt in that situation was really really tough um, for me to sort of break that down initially and then just think sorry I'm just going to tell him everything exactly how I felt and you know warts and all and you know go through the whole process and the whole everything that I go through on a daily basis Paul spent a day with me and just went through the whole whole process of getting me up in the morning from start to finish really I saw a comment from him that he found it pretty exhausting emotionally as well you know because he was he was living it with you um, is it something that you would advise people in your situation to do I mean even if they couldn't get it published um, perhaps they don't have the profile that you do but do you think writing it down creating some kind of diary is is a, a useful process for everyone um yeah I you know I I, I never ever want to dictate to people how they should live their lives and say this is what I've done this is what you should be doing because everybody's so so different but um, for me it was a great process and if other people would benefit from doing that definitely they could get it down on paper and just basically just just tell tell the world about how they feel even if it's not going to get published just tell people how they felt and in that situation and just yeah, it's the best form of counselling. Mm. Uh, that's how I felt about it. One thing I was told once was that uh, there is such a thing as righteous anger to like be able to vent when something shit has happened to you to just be able to vent about it and not always put up a barrier and say, "Oh no, it's okay." There's people worse off and all the rest of it. Um, you I'm so- not very good at that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. I, I do tend to tell people how I feel in that situation that's and. Great. <laughs> Yeah, not always, no. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's better to sort of uh, tone it down a little bit. Keep but counsel. Yeah, the, yeah my, uh, my care team sort of get the flack of that sometimes. Yeah, but having said all of that, certainly from the outside looking in, you were very much a glass half full type of bloke. And from what I gather, you were like that before your accident as well. So, yes, you might be honest, which is great, but you are also very positive in your outlook. Yeah, try to be. Uh, try to be as much as possible. I do think some days when people come to me and tell me how they're feeling and they're having a bad day, I would just think to themselves, not not because of my situation, but I look at some of our beneficiaries and I just think, you don't know what a bad day is. You haven't got a fucking clue. Mm-hmm. Basically, part of my French, but yeah, you haven't got a clue because this situation is is just so so difficult and so sort of heartbreaking at times mm. um, but you do have to laugh you you know my granddad always used to say to me if you can't laugh at yourself who can you laugh at and it is so so true um, and you know what the daylight today just makes you glad to be alive really doesn't it you yeah. see like this 
amazing views around here and the, the sun is shining it's not it's not that bad life is it you know I, th- I think i think the problem is that for people like you and a lot of the beneficiaries as you say of this place their lives and their, their accidents are often a result of their physical activity so many of them have, have led a very physical life and suddenly t- for it to be turned completely on its head and be the total antithesis of what your life was before must be the hardest thing to deal deal with yeah that's it that's it um, completely, um, yeah. I think you've, yeah, could really sum that well. Um, I think from being, you yeah, so active, so outgoing and and tough, and then from that to being very vulnerable, being in a wheelchair, being initially being quite ill, really, and then getting through that, and then the, the whole stage is it's quite it's quite ironic, really, that this situation's happened. Mm. Yeah, because you, 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 <clears throat> I suppose what it takes is reinvention of who you are. So, so what can you say to people that that say, "Do you know what? I'd rather not live than than live differently to what I was used to." I think um, give it a go and try and try and make the most of your life in the situation, and try to. I think the most important thing that any of us can do on this planet is to to try and uh, make an impression on other people's lives and if you can improve their lives um, if you're going through a bad situation then I think that's the best thing anybody can do in this world Get busy living that is your mantra after all where did that come from? did you create that? I didn't create it no it's um, Paul Kimmage said to me when we, when we first started writing the book what is your what's your favourite film? <laughs> what's your favourite film? And I said, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Um, so it's a, it's a get busy living or get busy dying message. Oh, yeah, of course it was, yeah. So within the film, the obviously, it is it's what it's all about, is to get busy living or get busy dying. And I think yeah. where, where Paul found a lot of his um, sort of inspiration uh, for the book is from Shawshank Redemption and, and the way it was set out. Um, so yeah, it worked. It worked really well um, in the way he way he wrote the book. Do you know, I don't think I've spoken to any bloke. Koozie, my husband, it's his favourite film as well. Who doesn't cite Shawshank Redemption at least in their top three? Why is it about that film that blokes seem to love so much? I mean, it's a great film, no doubt. But what is it that you were able to identify with? Do you think? I think. Uh, just this sheer sort of injustice, really, of the whole film and, and how Andy Dufresne, um, how basically he, his whole life has turned upside down and then, yeah, he, he made it. He, he broke away. I hope, I hope everybody's watched this film who are there talking to, but, yeah, he... Spoiler he, alert. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he was free in the end and how he... Uh, how he dealt with it was just unbelievable and just thought yeah this is pretty amazing really how he just yeah what he what he went through and how he broke free in the end and, and do you feel that it in some ways reflects your experience a sense of injustice that you had this budding England career that you know so much promise and then this devastating accident that was just freakish really wasn't it I mean 
to happen particularly in training there was no sort of massive moment it just happened and then you had to reinvent yourself but ultimately you've you found freedom through your your, your life choices yeah um yeah i've been set free really now and you know i'm, I'm obviously in this situation to find um letting let my life define me not letting the wheelchair define me but also i think um yeah, trying trying to change the world a little bit as well with what we're doing here as well, and trying to trying to break down the barriers and just say to people, look, it's not actually that bad a situation um, if you make the most of it. Um, it's not uh, it's not a straightforward, easy uh, situation sometimes, but um, you can lead a great life in this situation, and I think we we. You know, living proof of that, and our beneficiaries are living proof of that, and we're just trying to show people the way, really, lead them the way. Now, your injustice at the time was compounded. Certainly, you talked about um, your treatment by the RFU and the NHS as being far from ideal. Um, again, was the book a way of addressing that, and do you feel that changes have now been made in the way they approach things? Because this was kind of uncharted territory, certainly for the RFU. They hadn't had such a high-profile injury on their watch before, had they? No. Um, and I, I did initially say to my dad, look, this will make me a bad person. Um, but I hadn't realised that it... Actually, when when I said that to him, I I didn't actually believe it. But I think now I do actually believe it, and it do, it has made me a better person. Obviously, I'd rather be playing rugby. And anybody who will tell you that they they don't they live a, lead a better life now than what they did do, it's probably bullshit to me most of the time. But um, my life now is is good, and. The, the wheelchair and the situation um, obviously changed, changed me forever. But, yeah, um, it's, just a, it's just a different way of life, really, in this situation. But do you feel that you've got a positive legacy in terms of the RFU now? Have there been sort of procedural changes there because of what happened to you? Yeah, I, I think um, with the with the IPF, um, they're a lot more proactive rather than reactive now. So as an organisation, um, I think they they help a lot of people. Um, I think maybe they could talk to me and other guys in the same situation a little bit more and and ask the question: What would what would you have benefited the most from from? Uh, the charity and how could we have helped you you and your family out a little bit more uh, initially when it first happened but I think the, the protocols now are, are really really good um, but like like all charities and all organisations uh, they can get better mm. um, but yeah it's definitely uh, definitely improved um, the IPF and, and the way that they deal with people and the way they support people mm. Now, something that has been really sort of heartening is the reaction of, of other rugby players. I'm sure mostly to do with your popularity before the accident, but also, I guess, the, the notion of, but for the grace of God, you know, they're only one bad tackle away from being in the same position as you. Just tell us what the community has done for you and, and the kind of friendships that have been forged and built and, and really what this 
incredible centre has been based on? Yeah, rugby's uh, in comparison to uh, uh, well, quite a few sports. Um, it's a pretty small, small um, sport, but it is an it's an amazing sport, and it's still got those great morals and ethos for life, really, and how they look after their own and how we are basically a big family. Um, I think, uh, yeah. Leicester Tigers in particular have been a massive support to both me and my family and continue to be um, from the players to the fans to the coaches it's just been unbelievable the support they've given me and I, you know, I'm a life member of Leicester Tigers and that's probably one of my proudest achievements since my accident and probably the only thing I'll hold against you because I'm Northampton Saints uh, less said the, less said the better but. and we were getting on so well God, yeah. just ruined it haven't I yeah well hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I absolutely, absolutely love the sport. Um, conti- continue to love the sport, and and for me, what makes it so so special is just the, the people within the mm. sport and and how they they do look after their own. I think a lot of people do say rugby's changed, and I think it has. It's obviously obviously more high profile. There's more money within the sport, um, but I think those core values are still there, and and the best the best players are actually probably the best blokes as well. Yeah. Yeah, I would actually say that. And, yeah, they, they support me in everything that I do. And it, it, it's given, given the foundation a big, big sort of leg up and um, given them, yeah, enabled us to build this place, really. Do you think that's because to be the best players, they have to be the best team players, they have to perform within that network and that makes them good people? I'm not entirely sure. It just seems to be like that. I think the, you, yeah, I think team obviously is massively important. Um, but I do think they they're pretty smart as well, and they they know that it's not going to last forever. This fame, and um, they know that you know 
that for the grace of God, they, you know, it could have happened to them. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty special um, bond that you have within within rugby, and that's from that's everybody involved in rugby, not just rugby players, but I mean, like I said, from the fans to the coaches, um, everybody involved with rugby, they they sort of know that bond, and you know that you can talk to anybody else in the world who's mm. been involved with rugby, and you can have a something common, uh, a common interest, and and have that sort of banter and that that friendship was it hard though watching rugby after your accident was there a sense that you just craved to be out there yourself yeah it was it was initially quite hard and I think the hardest thing for me to deal with um, still now is to not know how far I could have gone and you know people can say to you oh you would have played for England you would have got 50 odd caps you would have done this that and the other but I don't know how far I could have gone um, and that's that's probably the most frustrating thing for me I you know I was obviously playing for England when I had my accident but all I ever really wanted to do is run out of Welford Road and play for Leicester Tigers um, which you'll hate to hear but <laughs> yeah I, uh, that, that was that was a dream really just to play mm-hmm. for Leicester Tigers and emulate these heroes that I'd watched growing up you mm-hmm. know it's interesting because you, you talked about it being a bit like a bereavement beforehand and I guess you know whenever you talk to somebody who has lost someone um, and I, I know just when I've lost family members that when I see the world just carrying on that was almost the hardest thing. Did it feel a bit like that with you, that people were just then going out the following week, the following month, the following year, and just carrying on, and your whole life had been turned upside down? I I always had my um, family around me when, when I had my accident, and then my my brother-in-law and my sister, they moved to, they moved to London, and, because my brother-in-law got a job in, in the city, and... I I always had them about, and that that made it a lot easier because they there's that sort of sense of normality. My my brother-in-law and my, my sister are a big part of my sort of get coming to terms with my accident, um, and then they moved on, and and I just thought life's moved on. I have to do something now with my life, and I have to get on with it, and I can't just rely on people to. Uh, make make the best of my life I've got to actually go out there and find something and find a purpose once again mm. I think that's really important um, so yeah that, that changed things quite a bit mm. Has the centre been kind of the thrust of that emphasis to move on and, and when did you first come up with this idea and how, how, how quickly were you able to get things moving? Um the foundation in general, not just the centre, uh, the foundation, it, yeah, gave me a massive sort of lift and a boost and gave me a purpose once again um, to start helping other people. I died back in 2005. Um, the the, the, the Mattamson Trust was set up um, to raise money for myself and to, to lead a great, um, well, lead an adequate life in this situation and, and lead, a, lead a life that I be proud of and feel that I'm worthy uh, once again so got to 2011 um, and then I had um, basically an insurance payout um, through clinical negligence I can't say I'll never say that word Um, but they they basically yeah 
I was in a position where I could start leading a great life um, once again. And then, yeah, then then we set the mountains and foundations to start helping other people, which is always my sort of intention to do that. And then, yeah, that that sort of completely changed it because before he didn't really sit that well with me that we were raising money for myself. And then I've always felt a bit awkward about it and always felt a bit bit embarrassed really about the whole scenario. I, I didn't want to sound ungrateful, but it was difficult to, for me to sort of front um, an organisation that was raising money for myself. Um, and then we started raising money for other people and... Yeah, uh, and then it completely changed, and then I, yeah, came into came into the foundation every day. Um, I wanted to be sort of the lead lead figure in it and try to help other people really. And so it's interesting you said that you wanted to feel kind of worthy. Um, had you kind of lost your sense of purpose then? Did, were you struggling to work out who you were as a person and, and where you fit into things? And has this given you that back? Do you think? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I I really struggled at school. Um, I, all I ever wanted to be as a rugby player. There was no sort of plan B. There was there was absolutely nothing out there for me. And yeah, once the foundation was formed, then it gave me a sense of purpose. gave me gave me a role within an organisation where I felt like I could be helpful again and felt like I. I wasn't just being a spare part and just turning up to events and just showing my face. I actually make decisions on a daily basis of how we are actually running this charity and and uh, trying to trying to lead the way. Really, what advice would you give to to young people, not necessarily in your position, but people who perhaps throw everything at sport? Do you think they do need to have a plan B? Do you think you need that, like? unwavering commitment to to want to represent your your club and country and don't you you can't be distracted from that because you know you talk to you talk to the greatest sportsmen and women around the world and they, they all share that sense of determination that there was just no other option other than this but if you don't have a plan b then you could possibly free fall and and as you say have to really kind of dig deep to find out who you are i think you need to have an interest outside of the sport and if I was talking to a 19-year-old, 20-year-old um, Matt Hampson, then I I would have said, look, you need other interests outside of sport and the fact that you need a release as well from that and you need to keep your brain occupied and, and to, to actually think about other things. And I do, I do think you need to be pretty selfish and self-absorbed to be the best, um, which is understandable, but... <laughs> You're getting towards the end of your career, you do need other interests. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. I don't think there is anything wrong with that. But it's just getting the right balance, I feel. Um, and, yeah, you, it's difficult to say, but you, you're not invincible. You, your career's not going to go on forever. You do. It's a very, very small sort of time frame within your life that you're going to be the best and you're going to be a... a um, a top class sports um, man or woman so yeah you need to um, yeah have other focuses out of that yeah because I guess even if the money is is good enough to set you up for life you still need to kind of get the old grey matter going and, and, and have other interests so that things like depression don't set in because you do it's hear about that a lot nothing to do with money we talk about yeah. 
we talk about money far too much and I think money's money's great in the fact that it gives you options but mm. it doesn't make you happy and it doesn't generate you can't buy happiness and I think you need to find something a niche to, to move on with your life after that and you like I said before you're not your career's not going to go on forever you're soon going to get forgotten about you are just basically you are just like a you you are it is a, um it's not, like I said, it's not going to go on forever. You are just a, a sportsman or woman and you're going to be... How many how many famous sportsmen and women do you, do you remember? There's not many, um, especially rugby players. There's not many because it's a pretty small sport. There's only they're like the big, big names that you can sort of forge your career through your name eventually. I guess the most important thing for anyone, sport aside... Is, is a legacy, is being able to, as you say, help others. Now, we are sitting in your unbelievable legacy, and I'm looking around on the, the paving slabs outside. These must all be people that have contributed. Um, yeah, they're not gravestones. No. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't look a little bit like they're that. All, they're all the people that have died in the making of the uh, Get Busy Living Centre. <laughs> yeah, well, the irony. Um, but you have had an unbelievable support network in this process. Um, but tell us, I think one thing that I know is really important about situations like this is that because you it feels like a finite project that you've now got the building around you. People probably think, oh, well, you know, they've, they've raised all the money they need to raise, they've opened the centre. The crucial thing is to keep it going. And from what I gather, there's a lot of people wanting to use your services. Now you are established, you have actually um, opened the door to a lot of people and more are coming because they finally found what they were looking for. So really, you need more money than ever now, don't you? Yeah, um... After just saying money's not that important, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For us, um, money is is so so important to keep the the running of this building, keep it keep it going. Um, and there is a lot of beneficiaries that we do have that aren't unfortunate enough to have have money and support. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got massive uh, plans to build accommodation eventually. And that accommodation will allow us to have people come and stay for two, three, four days mm. with their families. Um, but also, more crucially, we'll have people who are in that transitional stage between leaving hospital and going home and not having a, not having a home to go to. Um, so while, whilst it's being built, they can come here and stay here for, for two, three months whilst their house has been... Um, fitted and kitted out for them to to lead a great life you've got plenty of space for it everywhere i look there's just acres of land just the odd sheep dotted about this is lovely yeah it's uh it's amazing panoramic views over the leicestershire countryside and it, it is a uh, yeah it's a pretty special place i think it takes people out of the top four walls of their own home yeah. and they, they can start to feel feel that they're away from it all and try to take the the strain and stresses off their shoulders and, and feel like they can start focusing on themselves and feel like they can focus on what they're going to do in the future, really. So is your kind of dream, if you like, to have a build a kind of community of people that you can benefit that will just come and go? Because you said earlier you're a people person. If you can create somewhere, almost a little village, that uh, you constantly have people around you, that will serve your purpose as well and, uh, and, and plenty of others. Yeah, well, this is a this is a special place because it hasn't been done before. 
before what would happen is people would leave hospital, they'd, they'd have physio, they'd, they'd go home, have physio, and then they'd go to the gym, um, and then do their session, and then, then leave and go, go home once again. Um, but one, when they're here, they can come have a coffee with us, have a chill out, uh, have a bit of a relax, just have a chat about what's been happening in, the, in their lives, and then do a physio session, and then yeah, maybe catch up with us again afterwards. And uh, it's it's so important just to have that, even if it's for 10, 15, 20 minutes, it's so, so important to have that catch-up and have that bit of banter and, and just say, look, you're not on your own, we're here, you know, we will support you and um, we'll try and give you little bits of advice about where you can go on holiday, where's, where's good to, you know, where's wheelchair accessible, where's, where's good to eat or what, whatever it may be. Um, just simple little tips like that and, and then, yeah, the future of this place, we'd love to have a little community in the field behind me. Um, we'd love to plant it up with trees and maybe have like um, some lodges in there self-contained lodges eventually so this is just uh, the first step really but we're always we're always striving for bigger and better things really do you think you'll ever end up living here full-time will i live yeah, here yeah. no 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 not at all no. you've got your own palace no, down the road I've right my, yeah <laughs> yeah i've got the uh, yeah i've got my house down the road um it's I think it's important as well to to have your own space as well to be be able to do your own thing as well and be away from it because you do no matter how um, professional you are you still take on board you can't help but take on board other people's sort of stresses um, in their lives and you do take you do take it on because you wouldn't be a human being if you weren't and you wouldn't you'd be in completely the wrong sort of I don't even want to call it a job, sort of wrong lifestyle, really. Um, if you were, if you did, if you didn't take on their their sort of stresses, really, yeah. you do think about it a lot. I was going to ask you that because how much of what you do energizes you, and how much of it actually drags you down? Because you've got your own considerations, physical yeah, and it mental. Doesn't, it doesn't drag me down in the fact that it takes the emphasis off me, it takes the emphasis off my situation, and I get pretty bored about talking about myself and and yeah, my own situation. So it's nice to talk about other people's situations and try to help them out as much as possible. And they, you know, I get I get probably more from this place than they do than the fact that meeting people just inspires me every day to to sort of crack on with life really well on that note should we go and chat to a couple of them because I gather there's a few people here that want to tell us about the experience of coming yeah, here yeah okay yeah. come on then I'll push pause and we'll go and find them cool. and you can give me a little tour as well okay yeah yeah no worries okay so here we are now with uh, Lisa Richard and Tyler who is six days old he is six days my old my god yeah. tell us about your story Lisa Oh, God, where do I begin? Um, five months ago, um, Richard was involved in an accident, um, a motocross accident um, that literally um, changed our lives forever. It was a moment in time um, that yeah, I, I witnessed it, unfortunately. Um, Richard's done motocross for many, many years. Uh, he's done lots of sports, football, rugby, you name it. He's done lots of stuff. Um, and he decided to go back to motocross 
uh, for one final go and um, unfortunately he had a, an accident at the start um, and uh, he, thankfully he can't remember much of it um, went straight to Nottingham Hospital um, and that's all about but he can remember um, I got took into a room said it was very serious and we didn't really know if Richard was going to survive or not at the time. Um, and, and you were four months pregnant at this stage? I was five months pregnant, five months. yes. Um, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. Um, Which is a hard enough time as it is. I mean, yeah. and it's, your, it's your first pregnancy, your first baby. It is, yeah, it was. And, uh, yeah, I think just that, I don't know what, it was just one of those moments that you either have to fight or sink um, and luckily, um, he's got a wife that's a bit of a fighter. Um, so, yeah, they operated on Richard literally immediately within three hours. Um, you know, I can't thank Nottingham enough for what they've done. Um, you know, it really helped restore some of his, of, you know, of, of his movement. Um, so we're really thankful for that. But literally, um, from that day, May the 20th, Till now, um, our, our lives have been literally upside down. And um, you gave birth six days ago. I did, yes. And here he is, lying with a water cutie. Yeah. Does he sleep well? Thankfully, yeah, thankfully. And uh, it's really important, though, for me that Richard comes here and uses the facilities here um, because, for me personally, um, Richard's not an exception. Um, he's probably the rule. Um, I feel quite let down, really, by, dare I say, the NHS, even though you know, his surgery was fantastic. Other than that, his, his care has been very, very limited. Um, I, I think it's to the point that I would say it's very poor. Um, without this centre, um, I really, really don't know what myself, Richard... Um, we would have done mm. because um, thankfully we saw it on TV. I was going to say, how did, how did you hear about we, it? We saw it on TV when Richard was in hospital. Oh, I'll come over to you, Richard. Hang on a second. Yeah. Let me just. One of our friends. One of our friends phoned up and he says, I've seen this place. He says, You want to go and check it out? So we come up one day, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. On, the wen- on the Wednesday, and Josie had an hour and 40 minutes with me. Um, we knew this was the place to come. So, for us, um, it, it's that limbo between coming out of hospital. Um, it's trying to find your way. Um, you know, Richard went into hospital fully functioning. Four months later, um, we got discharged from hospital with no plan, um, no direction. Um, very, very little advice um, about physio, about mental well-being. Um, you know, it, 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 it is like a bereavement. You know, I, I felt like I've lost my husband and now he's just coming back. Um, you know, I, th- th- we have bad days. Um, we've probably had more bad days than good days at the minute, but this centre certainly has helped him have more good days. Um, he definitely believes in the future. Um, for this little one as well. But I, I really, really don't know what I would have done without it. Mm. Just to come and have a chat, just to come and see people, um, you know, people's generosity, um, how they've opened, you know, 
about their stories, about what they're going through to help Richard, to help me. You know, I, I really, really don't know what we would have done. Um, and still we've had no help really other than this centre. Um, you know, it is interesting you say that because certainly um, experience of people I've spoken to has been that in, in that crucial emergency moment, the NHS are exceptional. Phenomenal, I and, cannot and, and fault they, it. And they save lives and, and just... But it's the aftercare. Oh, and, and I understand the resources are massively stretched and I understand that they can't perhaps put plans into place. But, you know, for you to have to... You know, just about to give birth and you're having to deal with this catastrophic injury to your husband you just need a plan you just need oh, yeah. somebody to give you some direction don't you well, we are literally within you know I've I sold my house I'm in the process of moving um Richard yeah. had an accident I'm five months pregnant um yeah you, you know we sold a house in two days so then we've had to find a house really really quickly and one that's adapted presumably yeah, we've, yeah we have to have it adapted but obviously we get no financial support because of you know you know, luckily, um, you know, we both work and stuff like that, so we've had no financial support either. Can so. Richard still work? Can you still work then? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be a stop-at-home dad, so I was there uh, packing up in January to look after Tyler. So we'll see further down the line if I want to go back and do a couple of days a week. Yeah. In the meantime, it's down to you to be the breadwinner as well. Yes, I'm, I'm all things rolled into one. But <laughs> I've, I've always said, though, my primary job is um, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, um, and I'm a carer last. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really supportive of, you know, Richard being independent and coming up here on his own and using all the equipment and stuff. Um, but honestly, Matt is such an inspiration. Um, and all of the guys that come here... Um, Everyone's got a different story and everyone's got a heartbreaking story and, you know, we're not an exception. Um, but we, we have to roll our sleeves up and we have to get on with life because if we don't, then it's beat me and nothing really beats me. Oh, I'll tell you what, I can tell that <laughs> just from looking in your eyes. I'm a fighter. I can see that, absolutely. Um, well, and look at that baby you've produced. I, I mean, look at him. He is very good. He is gorgeous. God, well done you. Listen, you keep Thank up you. the fight and okay. hopefully we will dr- uh, drum up a bit of support for you and for the centre oh, and, and moving I forward. So, yeah, I hope so. Thank yeah. you. So what would you say to Matt for, for what he's been able to achieve here? Oh, it, it, it's beyond words. Um, you know, we're really lucky that we're very local as well, but this centre is... I've never, ever come across something that's as amazing. Um, and I still cannot believe it that we come here and have physio and it's we you know we it's 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 free it's it's help it's help and I can't really get over that I I keep saying don't you I said it don't feel right that someone's helping us um because it's very rare that you get that support Mm. isn't it that you know and it's phenomenal just the environment's beautiful um you know, talking to people, you know, Matt absolutely always gets involved with with us all. Um, and, you know, cooking, just the social side, all of that really, really helps. Um, you know, and, and he's promised to cook me dinner, which is great. Wow, bloody hell. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm ready I'll wait to and see what happens I'm, with that. I'm, I'll let you know what <laughs> yeah. happens. Uh. <laughs> when you hear that, how does it make you feel? 
Um, yeah, but um, yeah, a little bit emotional, really. Um, yeah, uh, Lisa talking about um, you know what they've been through and and how God, it's just yeah, it's unbelievable what they've been through and how they've sort of come out the other side and it's still got a long way to go, but they'll they'll get there. I know they will because I can just see it in their faces. Um, they're <laughs> very strong characters. Um, and I think I think Richard's got to step up, and it's going to be tough for him. Um, but he's going to do it. I know he is, and we're we're going to support him in every every step of the way, really. Um, and yeah, life life does get better, mate. Do you have anything you want to say to Matt? Thank you. That's all I've got to say. Really appreciate what you've done for us, and I'll keep fighting and keep coming here as long as I can. And I guess the door will always be open, won't it? Of course it will, yeah. Yeah, we're always going to be here. We're not going anywhere. Listen, this has just been the best day. So thank you so much. You know, you've really inspired me and I'm sure everyone listening to this will offer their support and we'll um, we'll let everybody know how they can get in touch and, you know, have a queue out the door of people just wanting to come and see you, I'm sure. So thank you so much for your time today. No worries, thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed interviewing Hambo. He really is just such a top bloke. And he I think what I enjoyed about it so much is he doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't tell you what he thinks you want to hear. He says what he really feels. Some of that good, some of it bad. And to then meet, get the opportunity to meet people who he's directly impacted. I didn't actually expect to to meet those guys there today they just happened to be there and it was just like serendipitous that they were able to tell Matt face to face just how much he's helped them so my god what a legacy incredible stuff um let me know what you've thought of the podcast Uh, please rate review subscribe all the rest of it but most importantly please donate if you can to the Matt Hampson Foundation you can do so online and it's Matt Hampson, spelt with a P, so H-A-M-P-S-O-N, foundation.org, matthampsonfoundation.org. Thanks so much for your time. Um, I will speak to you again soon. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.